welcome you into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name is Mac, and uh, thank you for coming back for episode 15. So before we get started, I just want to extend a special thank you to everybody who, you know, reached out to me over the last couple of weeks with my victory with the court motion. Um, I'm so glad that, you know, things are kind of working out. Uh, the divorce is progressing, and, um, you know, things are getting better. So I appreciate you guys reaching out to me. Before I... Uh, start with the next guest. Um, I want to remind you guys, please follow me at dimming underscore the underscore gaslight on TikTok and Instagram. And also, if you'd like to be a part of the show, please reach out to me at dimmingthegaslight at gmail.com. And please rate, review, subscribe, share. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and give it five stars on Spotify. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this next interview. Um, my next guest is one of the strongest, most badass women I see on all of social media. Um, super honest, super forthcoming. And uh, I think you guys are really going to like this interview. I'm sure you guys have seen a lot of her videos. Um, come check this out. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So I have a really, really cool guest for you guys today. Um, a lot of you guys follow her on Instagram, but a lot of you guys follow her on TikTok. Um, you guys are really in for a treat. So I am here with one of the most authentically honest people I see on social media these days. Everything she posts is everything from like talking about like sex with narcissists and all the lies that they come up with and the domestic abuse and all the kind of stuff. But whenever she says something, people listen because she's got a great story to tell and it's really an amazing story. So I wanted to welcome to the show, her, her Instagram and TikTok handle is pain to power, but there's two R's at the end of power. Okay. So it's pain to power. And uh, I'm here with Regina. Regina, say hi to everybody. Hi, guys. I'm really glad that you invited me to be on your podcast. I'm glad because it's a great message that people need to hear. I'm super stoked for you to be here. So, And also, Regina uh, said this is her first podcast ever, so I feel really lucky. So, all right. So, listen, um, like you guys have all followed her posts, and, and she's, like I said, she's always, um, you know, just really authentically honest with everything that she talks about. So, um, Regina, where did you want to get started in your story? I mean, I guess we could start from the beginning, but I just wanted to preface this that what I experienced, what we all are experiencing, whether you're still in the relationship or whether if it's even a romantic relationship or a friendship or a work situation or a family dynamic, whatever it is, if you're still in it and you found my page or, or your page or whoever, you know, if, if it brought you to social media, the questions that you have, or whether you're removed from it, my platform and, and, and me speaking out, is kind of twofold. One, to bring awareness and to let people know, like, they're not alone. We're not alone. Uh, yep. Not alone at all. And you're not crazy. Mm -hmm. And everything I speak to and everything I reference is what I live through. You know, I don't try and speak to what other people, what I've learned from other people. I only speak from my, from my own experiences. Yeah. That's and the way it should on, be. You know, what, uh, what, based on what I've learned, you know, there's, there's many different therapists out there, including my own, the one my ex and I went to and, you know, somebody like Dr. Romney, um, yeah. who I've learned so much from. So like there are resources available. 
I just want people to know that. And like, if you are here, if something brought you here, there's a reason for that. There is a reason for that. Yeah. And like to your point too, I tell a lot of people too, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a mental health expert. I'm just a guy who went through a really shitty relationship. And all I can do is provide you with what I went through and what I know. And hopefully you can gain something from that, you know? Exactly. But like, Mm -hmm. we talk about red flags a lot. Yeah. One of the biggest red flags is the fact that you're researching this, (laughs) listening to this to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is not something that any of us wanted. This is a club that I say none of us ever wanted to be a part of. But isn't it so cool? Isn't it so cool though? Like I got to admit, like there's so many people out there who are in the shit right now and they don't even know it. And like, how privileged do you feel that we know? And like, for all the people that the narcissist fooled, we know. And well, I, feel I, so had, good about I that. posted about this recently, just saying like, if you can survive this, and I truly genuinely believe this, that if you can survive this and you get out of this, mm-hmm. Number one, you're going to become a stronger, wiser person. You're going to be able to spot these red flags and you're going to create boundaries. Like, can I curse like a motherfucker? Fucking do it. <laughs> um, you're going to have so much, like the, your boundaries are just going to be so much stronger. And you're going to know again, like who you can allow into your life, into your heart and who you need to keep a safe distance from. Yeah, um, And you could still do that. Like in a very nice way. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I've cut out even toxic friendships, like people that are just takers and people that were really not bringing any quality to my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm like super hyper aware of empathy these days. And it's funny, like I go around and I'm like, I don't, I'm super careful not going like you're a narcissist and you're a narcissist and you're a narcissist. I don't want to be like that, but I'm super hyper aware of, of empathy these days. And, um, I, I said on the, on the podcast recently, and I got a lot of messages about it that people say like, Well, I said on the episode, um, I feel like I'm in like an old episode of The Walking Dead and like I walk around and everybody's a narcissist and my ex got bit by the the narcissist zombie and like, I wish she didn't, but that's just the world I live in now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm -hmm. But you know, the whole, the whole term narcissist, I mean, listen, that's just a term to, to, to explain somebody's behaviors. Mm-hmm. That's really all it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we all, as humans, we all have narcissism. It's, it's, it's a trait that every single person possesses, but it runs on a spectrum as right. we all know. Right. Um, and it's when you get, you know, to the, the, the extreme end of the spectrum, when it becomes pathological and pervasive and all of these terrible behaviors become that way, that's when you're looking at a real, real issue, which, you know, I like to think, and I had mentioned this to you before, like, I still think there are more good people in this world than there are bad. Oh, I can confirm that. But I just wanted to put that out there initially. Like if it, if something brought you here to begin with, like that is a huge giant waving red flag and you're not alone. You're not crazy despite what this person is telling you. Um, and and we're you glad can... you're here. Yeah. And yeah, that's the thing. Like you are stronger than you think because you're doing the research. You're you're trying to make sense of something that is just nonsensical. Oh my God. That's so funny that you said that. I've been said that's like been my mantra for like the last couple of weeks. Stop trying to make sense of the nonsensical. That's amazing that you just said. Yeah. That. If you're trying to make sense of it, you're never going to, cause you're never going to fully be able to get into these people's heads and understand why they operate in the ways that they do. Yep. Yep. Give up. There's beauty in giving up. Yep. Mm-hmm. And acceptance. Right. Totally. Totally. All right. So shoot, let's hear, uh, let's hear where your story started. Okay, so um, I was in a narcissistically abusive relationship for 
I guess you could say a little over three years. It was amazing in the beginning, like all of us. It was very stereotypical. Came on very strong with the love bombing and gift giving and just so much praise. And like, I really thought like, he just came across as such a genuine man. Mm -hmm. I had never met anyone like him in my life. And things seemed to progress quicker than in previous relationships of mine. But I felt that was due to age. I mean, he's seven years older than me. Okay. And I felt, well, maybe it's it's our age. And he finally figured out what he wanted in life. I mean, these are the things that he was telling had, me. Had he been married before? Any kids or anything like that? No, no children, no marriage. And oddly enough, when I first met him, I had recognized him. Just, I thought maybe from around the neighborhood that we live in, and I couldn't pinpoint how I knew this guy. And, you know, when you're like thinking of something and then all of a sudden a light bulb went off in my head and I was like, oh my gosh, he is so-and-so's boyfriend. And now the woman that he was with before me, we, I guess you could say we were mutual acquaintances. We were not friends, but we knew of each other. And she's from, her family is from the same neighborhood in, in where my family is originally from as well. So we kind of have similar friends, mutual friends. And from as far as I knew, she's a really, really good person, a really sweet girl. Um, and I was like, oh, you are so-and-so's boyfriend. The light bulb went off. And I was like, oh my gosh. And he literally ran away from me <laughs> and then came back and he was like oh oh yeah we broke up and I was like oh my gosh put my foot in my mouth you know I felt terrible I was like oh god like and he was like no no no, it's okay it's cool that was our first interaction ever but I just had this assumption in my mind that if she had dated him he can't be that bad right isn't that it funny how certain things they do super early on foreshadow later on like what's gonna happen when you look back and you're like, why, why, why did I ignore that? Yeah. Like, that was really weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then I kept running into him. So I, it's like, I went from never seeing this guy in, in the neighborhood. And then I just kept seeing him everywhere. And finally it got to the point where we became like buddies, I guess you could say, like I'd walk in somewhere and he'd be like, Oh, here comes Regina. And like, you know, and it came like a joke where we would constantly be running into each other. And then, from there, everything progressed. I mean, before I knew it, it was like, we're inseparable. Like we were doing everything together. We were like basically playing house like so quickly. So everything happened so quickly. Like he wanted to introduce me to his family very quickly. And he made How it a quickly? point to How tell quickly? me. I'd say he had me in front of his extended family within three months. Yeah, that's pretty quick. It was to me, it was quick. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was the, the way he was explaining everything was, you know, I you're the first girl in seven years who I've brought to my family. And I kept thinking, like, your ex before me, who you were with for three years, never met your family. Oh, no, well, I didn't feel that, you know, the way about her that I feel about you. You know, you're the love of my life, blah, 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 blah. Like, I mean, what? Like, okay, so yes, that of course made me feel special. And I remember the first time going to this, you know, barbecue, it was a family party. And, you know, he was walking me around his cousin's house and his cousin has a very nice house. You know, he's very successful and beautiful family. I mean, these people are great people. And he's walking me through the house and he was like, babe, he's like, wouldn't it be great? Like, we could have all of this now. He's like, if you sold your condo and I sell my condo, we could buy like our own house. And he goes, and then when I retire, because he knew I loved 
like the Charleston area of South Carolina. I love the beach. The beach is my my thing. I thought that was something him and I had in common. Who knows if we really do or not? I don't know. Um, and I feel like he capitalized on that. So then he started talking like long-term retirement plans to the point where he would actually send me real estate listings for down south. So I've said on other episodes that certain things that guests say are going to jog my memory of certain stories. You and I are ironically from the same area. And about a year and a half ago, um, my ex started sending me listings in Merrill's Inlet, South Carolina for us to move down there. Um, she tried to get a job down there in Merrill's Inlet and we were going to look at real estate in Merrill's Inlet, South Carolina. And I'm just blown away that you just said that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're all the same. Didn't you know that? Like they all (laughs) use the same manipulation tactics. So of course, like he has me now already envisioning like, oh my God, like we could have, you know, the two of, between our two incomes, we could have a beautiful home. Like. We could even have two homes. We can have a home here and a home in South Carolina. Like I could have everything. This man is telling me he can give me and provide me with everything that I've ever really wanted in life. You know, I love dogs. Um, I'm a big advocate for rescuing dogs. Um, At the time I met him, I had a German Shepherd rescue who unfortunately did not get along with other dogs for his own traumatic reasons, um, which I had found out later what had happened to my dog. Um, and I had spent actually $7,000 trying to rehab this, this rescue dog, um, who I was in love with. I mean, he was perfect with people, perfect with kids. It was just other dogs. Mm-hmm. And it became an issue where he was telling me, you know, how much he loved that about me that I love dogs and, you know, I'm such a good dog mom, but it became an issue because he has two dogs. So the, the three dogs could never be together. So I had that responsibility where it was kind of hindering him from, from really taking full control over me. Mm-hmm. Um, what about, was he pitching you to get married and stuff like that besides buying a house and moving in together and stuff? He had mentioned it, but here's the thing. Like I, that's not, he very quickly learned, like I, that was not like the stereotypical thing that he thought maybe I wanted mm-hmm. where I was like, mm, okay, like not really, it's not my, it's not my dream. Like I don't need to marry you to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with the whole kids thing. Um, it was him who brought up the kids and him telling me that he wanted me to go off birth control to have, a, you know, to give him a baby because he, you know, never knew he wanted kids apparently until he met me. We all know yeah. that's a trap. Yeah. Well, I lived it. We'll get yeah. there. Um, but back to the dog situation. So I was fortunate in that respect where I actually had the dog to keep me from fully, fully being isolated by this guy. Um, But things happened with the dog, me trying to rehab the dog. It became a liability. He actually, the dog scaled the fence, attacked a neighbor's dog. Like it got bad. Got bad to the point where, you know, my own parents were like, unfortunately you can't, his name was Chief. They're like, you can't keep Chief. And I so badly, you know, I did everything in my power to keep this dog. And my ex was, you know, he was there for me through that. And I thought he genuinely cared and like genuinely wanted to to help me like Mm -hmm. with, with that whole process. But in reality, it was just a hindrance to him. And he couldn't wait for me to get rid of the dog. It got to the point where I was seeking out other rescues to try and rehome the dog. Like there was no way over my dead body would I drop my dog off at a a shelter. It just wasn't happening. 
Right. Um, you know, let somebody, you know, like I'll sue me because I, I'm keeping the dog then like whatever it is, like my dog is not going to a shelter. There's no way. And he actually, I have it in a text message where he got mad one day that this process wasn't going fast enough for him. And he was like, if that dog's not gone by tomorrow, we're dropping off him. We're dropping him off at the shelter. And I was like, that's, that's not happening. Like I have things who, in the works. Who with the hell rescues. is he to put, who the hell is he to put his foot down over your dog? And this is a guy who claims to love dogs. Yeah. Bullshit. That's fucked. Yeah. yeah. It's bullshit. It's all an act. Mm-hmm. Um, his dogs are deathly scared of him, by the way, because he's raged out. He raged out in front of my other dog too. And he's just whatever. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I ended up, um, finding an amazing German shepherd rescue. They took him. I found an amazing family for the dog. It worked out beautifully and mm-hmm. they still have the dog. We keep in touch from time to time. Um, and it worked out, but that was a big initial red flag for me where it was like, Ooh, I don't like this part of you. And you claim um, to love dogs and you haven't shown anything like that. Yeah. And he was also like, you know, love bombing me, gaslighting me, like all of this stuff. Like this is all in your head, Regina. Like that's not how I am. And I'm like, but you want to drop off a dog, my, my dog, not just any dog, my yeah. dog at a kill shelter. Mm-hmm. That's not normal. Right. Not okay. Because it doesn't fit your schedule. Right. Yeah. That was a huge red flag for me early on that I kind of ignored. I let it go. But so got rid of the dog. And then that's when things really started to progress to where they got bad mm-hmm. and his drinking was out of control. He would rage attack and it was never really directed at me. Um, it was more like he would destroy physical items in the house. Over what? Your guess is as good as mine. He would be drunk mm-hmm. and just start, you know, exploding on whatever it was. And again, initially they were never directed at me. He had opened up very early on in typical narcissistic fashion about, you know, his own childhood or his own traumatic experiences in life, wanted me to do the same. And of course I did. Mm-hmm. Um, which eventually those were used against me anyways. Well, of course. Um, so I had, a, a, you know, he would always blame that. I mean, when I tell you that this man could turn on the tears, it's like a faucet. <laughs> <laughs> where you actually they prey on people's empathy they prey on good people fixers givers people that just wanted like i wanted to give him all the love that i thought maybe he didn't have in his life and then they mirror it back to you yeah yeah they just steal your personality and mirror it back to you and then somehow they can convince themselves that they're the empath oh yeah he's the victim not yeah. not I, I mean, and he re- listen at the end he revealed himself full and like truly and he didn't he didn't even try to hide it so that's when the red flags really started to appear. I'd say about like nine months in, I had actually gone to his family for help regarding his substance abuse, whether that was alcohol or drugs and just his erratic behaviors. Was it an everyday thing? No, it wasn't every day. Mm-hmm. It wasn't every day, but it was often enough where it was a problem. Well, every time he probably got drunk or high, like real, real bad. Right. Yeah. And I had questions that things were happening that, you know, of course, like he was denying with, with, in regards to cheating. Um, I had heard rumors that of something that had happened prior to me about a woman, a, an ex-wife of a guy he works with that, that, you know, they had had this affair and sure mm-hmm. enough, it was true because she was the one of one of seven women that I found in the, when all was said and done in the end. Seven. Good God. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, then even that wasn't enough. Yeah. So the, the red flag started to appear, I'd say about nine months in. And I really 
I, I, I made it crystal clear, like my feelings that something was going on, like what's going, what's up. And mm -hmm. that's when he suggested we go to therapy. He did. And Interesting. Yes. So I he want... is one of those who use therapy to manipulate me. Yeah. Well, me too. And I don't know if you heard my story, but you know, she said that I was bipolar and got me on all kinds of medication. And now I actually have to fight to prove my innocence in court that I'm not bipolar, but I've recently gotten a psychiatric exam and they said that I have wicked PTSD at the hands of somebody who abused me. So I don't, I'm not bipolar. Interesting Go how that works. Here. Right. Go yeah. Isn't that Unbelievable. Funny? Yeah. Yeah. He had originally brought me into therapy saying that this therapist he had previously gone to and he made it sound like he was going to therapy for an extended period of time and that he just had stopped and he felt like, oh my gosh, yes, now that all these problems are arising, I really need to get my ass back in therapy. That's the way he he positioned it to me. What did he project about you though? Because I'm sure he projected something At about the time, you. Not really much other than, but Regina, you have your issues to work out too. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, what are my, of course, everybody's got their own share of issues, but I'm like, not like yours. Like, <laughs> I, I don't really know what my issues are other than like, what the you, hell? Like, other than you, you're my yeah, issue. Like, your behavior is my issue. <laughs> Yeah. There were two things in, in, in my life and it's kind of funny now that they're both gone, but I had an old job and I had a boss that drove me absolutely crazy. And now knowing what I know, he was a narcissist. He was him and my wife should get together. My old boss and my ex-wife should get together. Oh God, that's a match made in hell. <laughs> yeah. The fucking time would stop. But, uh, yeah, there was, there were two people like going back in the day, I used to say there was my two problems with my boss and my wife. And now I'm rid of both of them. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like they're they're parasitic. Yeah, for sure. It, it's crazy. But um, yeah, so we went to therapy and he was like, I got this great therapist. You know, he's going to help better explain me to you. And I'm like, and he's like, we're going to go back there and everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, great. So we, we go to this therapist and the first session or so, like it was, it was okay. Like we, it was kind of more generalized me meeting this, this man and him kind of reconnecting with this therapist. And I should make note, like this therapist is a very highly qualified psychologist, clinical mm -hmm. psychologist. At one point he was actually um, the head of the psychology department at a very well-known school in the New York area. Okay, so cool. he knew what he was talking about. This guy knows what he's yeah, doing. There's no slouch. And so we were going to therapy together and then we also were going separately. Mm -hmm. And it was during one of the alone sessions that I had with this therapist where I had said, I said, you know, well, what's the deal? Because the reason why we came here was because, you know, my, my partner was thinking that he was bipolar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like not like we're not really making any progress here. Like, uh, can, can you explain to me what's going on? And it, we had gone in and we told this man whatever I discuss, you can discuss with him and vice versa. So there were mm -hmm. no secrets. There was no, it was, you know, everything was out on the table. And he said to me, he go and he said, you know, I reference you as red. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? And he's like, I look, look at you like your little red riding hood. And he goes, and if you play with a wolf long enough, you're going to get bit. And that's when he told me he's not bipolar. And I was like, okay, so then like, I'm thinking there's a medication he could take to, you know, calm his, his mood swings or whatever it is. And that's when he broke it down for me. And he said, no, he has a personality disorder. And then he broke, he went into each different type of personality disorder. Never heard of a personality disorder prior to this in my entire life. Oh my and, God. Yeah. 
I went home that night. What was that like hearing that was like, like, I remember discovering that, you know, she was a narcissist and I felt like the walls were closing in on me. What was that like for you? No, I actually was hopeful because I was just wanted to cling to this. Like I can still help him. Oh no. I can. Yeah. My love will be enough. Um, I ran to Barnes and Noble the next day and I bought him books and myself books. And I was like, we're going to get through this together. Um, what a joke. I look back now and I'm laughing because it's like, I was such a fool. I was so naive. No, you're a good hearted person that like wanted to save the love that you thought you had. And, and you think like, oh, you know, you're trying to get back to that guy in the beginning who wasn't real. Yeah. And I started doing research on cluster B personality disorders. I came across, I don't know if the listeners are familiar with Brandon Marshall, um, who's an ex NFL player. And he actually was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Oh yeah. I do know and about he's this. He's very yeah. open about it. He started like a whole mental health foundation and yada, yada, yada. And like, you actually see this a lot in sports, um, just undiagnosed. Um, I think there's a lot of athletes out there who probably suffer from a personality disorder and whether they know it or not. I wonder if that has something to do with CTE, but I digress. Well, that's another thing they say CTE, but unfortunately CTE can't be diagnosed until after the person's right, dead. Yeah. Right. Anyway, that's a digression. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> um, so I started sending him articles about Brandon Marshall. Like, this is nothing to be ashamed of. Like, I wanted him to embrace this. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting there telling me he's never heard of this. I'd rather be bipolar than have a personality disorder. I think that's a bullshit lie. I think he knows exactly who and what he is. We discussed narcissism. He was like, yeah, yeah, I might, I might be a little narcissistic. Yeah, I think that's true. But I don't think I have a personality disorder. Well, Why? Because he was admitting off, to thinking he was hot shit or something? Off every damn box. I don't know what else to tell you other than you're checking all the boxes. So when he was admitting to being narcissistic, what was he saying? Like he admits to thinking he was hot shit or something? Yeah. Like, well, he was, that was also his way of gaslighting me to play stupid. He was yeah. playing stupid that he didn't know like the proper terminology for things. So you he think didn't. he was a self-aware narcissist, huh? I think he fully knows. Interesting. Yeah. I think I he fully knows, especially after my full experience with him. If he and I come face to face, he don't try and hide it. Yeah. I can see, have this conversation with him and he would admit it, but he'd be like, oh, are you recording me? Yeah. <laughs> well, see, like with mine, like she, she clings to the reactive abuse that I would give back because I didn't know what was being done to me. So I would get so overwhelmed and so frustrated. And I think like, I still think mine thinks that she's the victim. I don't know. I mean- their reactive abuse is actually, you know, it's very common. And I've actually had a lot of people message me asking me, are they the narcissist because of the reactive abuse? And it's like, yeah. no, you push someone's buttons enough and you like you demean them and belittle them and abuse them enough. People are eventually going to have a reaction. I posted I posted this thing on Instagram a couple of weeks ago. Um, there was this girl and she's sitting there and she's going, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I'm done. Fuck you. And then it, it turns and the girl's just sitting there and she's like, see, like, you know, the, the narcissist just sitting there going, see, I got you because you're reacting, get the shit kicked out of you. And I found that clip. I was, I was at the gym and I was on the treadmill and I found that and I just started crying at the gym and I go, that was me for so long. It's like a setup. Yeah. It's like a setup. And, yeah. and you crazy, know that's not you. You know that's not you. No. <sighs> I So I'm fortunate where I never really, because I always had that fear in me with him. 
Mm-hmm. And that was something that was addressed in therapy was, are you scared of him? And I was like, no, I'm like, I don't think he would ever hurt me physically. Oh, yeah, boy. That, that was a lie. Um, but Little I did Regina had, know. <laughs> I always had that underlying fear because he is a big guy. And I had witnessed him snap a few times, whether it was directed at me or not. You know, I had that underlying fear in, in my belly. So I never really re- reacted in a crazy way, I should say, like that, like physically or, you know, screaming and yelling like that. Yeah. Um, but I did have an instance where he actually oddly like set me up in the, the strange way because um, he'd like to triangulate me with certain people. Um, he has this older woman friend of his who's actually an ex from years ago um, and they have a very like symbiotic relationship I don't think those two will ever be able to fully part I don't did know they have it, a, did they have a thing or something he so when I first met him he told me this woman was like his mother and but then like I came to find out that it's actually like an ex from like 15 years ago whatever so he wants to bang his mother or something. yeah like, it's like it was like really it was a really inappropriate like not okay friendship mm-hmm. just completely not appropriate especially for somebody that's in a relationship and i'm like this this woman just seems to be crossing many boundaries and i, I just don't feel comfortable with this i didn't really ever get the opportunity to like really genuinely like have a conversation with her or meet her i'm like if she's like a mother to you then why is she not inviting us over for dinner like why why the dog situation, like his dog and her dog would always be together. And then we would watch her dog and she would watch his dog. And it just, it just wasn't appropriate. And I felt that she had stepped on my toes many, many a times, whether she was aware or not, or he was creating this, which mm-hmm. I think he was more so creating it. And I think she probably has her own share of damage that he's inflicted on her throughout many years. And it's, it's quite sad that I, I think that this woman is, is stuck. She may be an enabler. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I I think she truly believes that if she can just stick around in some, in whatever capacity, eventually he'll, I hate to say, pick her, but, you know, eventually I think in in her mind, well, he'll he'll pick me. I, I, whatever it was, but he would always triangulate me with this woman. And um, I had actually found on his phone there was now we would have these little tips, like we would like make up, break up, you know, like we would break up for two weeks and get back together, you know. And it was like during one of those tips, I should say, small breakups, maybe it was like a week, that he had called me one night like 18 times. Mm-hmm. I actually recently looked up the phone bill to see. And um, it got to the point where I was actually concerned because he would make these threats about himself, like that he wanted to die and this and that and the other thing. And you know, people make these threats, you're going to take them seriously. And it's not the first time. And I, you know, we went over that in therapy, the therapist said, you know, you can't drop everything you're doing. That's when you call 911. And you have this person committed, like, if this is genuine, and those threats eventually stopped after he realized, like, I'm not going to fall for this anymore. Mm -hmm. But I had showed up to his house um, that night, because I was worried about him. And he took this ring doorbell video of just me standing outside, thinking like, he'll answer the door. And sent it to this woman, and I found this on his phone, and sent it to this woman with this, like, with wording, like, look, she's so crazy, she just showed up to my house. It's your girlfriend I, did, I didn't you. just show up to his house. He called me 18 times crying. My had two girlfriends over. They had to listen to it, and I was concerned. So, yeah, I got in my car, and I drove over there because I was worried. 
Wow. That is triangulation to the extreme. Yeah. When all was said and done and I discovered everything, I realized, like, I realized the game that he was doing, not just to me, like, he wasn't just manipulating me. He was manipulating everybody. And how intricate all these little parts and these people and these situations and places. Very calculated. Everything is so intricately planned and it's crazy. Very, very calculated. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, like I said, red flags appear, things started, shit started hitting the fan. We would make up, break up. Um, and he would always come back, always beg me to take him back. I'm going to mm-hmm. do right this time. Um, I'm going to go back to therapy because he stopped going to therapy. He painted that therapist black because he felt the therapist is taking your side. Mm-hmm. You know, he even said to me, oh, he's only he's only taking your side because he wants to fuck you. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. The therapist now wants wants to have sex with me, according mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. OK. All right. It's all very scary. Like once you do the research. And you start comparing stories with other survivors and you see this is all very stereotypical narcissistic behavior. Yeah. Like I thought I was such an anomaly that like, oh, she tried to present me as bipolar and then I get out of the relationship. I'm like, oh, we're all bipolar all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. And they project. They project a lot. So usually what they're projecting onto you is what they are. Not that either of us are, um, you know, therapists or psychologists, so we can't really get into like the nitty gritty when it comes to that. But it is common that many people with personality disorders also have comorbidity, you know, with other mental illnesses. So whether that's bipolar or schizophrenia or whatever it is, a comorbidity is is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, the projection is there. But when it came to my ex, um, you know, we had many makeup breakups. And I would say, you know, the real, the bad, I'd say the worst part when it got to the point where I was in my mind, I thought I'm officially, officially done came over quarantine. And um, we were living in my home at the time. And it was Easter Sunday night. And I actually just posted about this today. Mm -hmm. Because we're going on two years. Yeah. And disturbing uh, fucking video. Tell the listeners. Yeah. So at this point now we had had issues where I had thought he was cheating. And of course he would lie and tell me that he was, he was not, I had instances over the course of the relationship where I would have chronic UTIs or infections. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't make sense of it. You know, I thought because we had a lot of sex, cause he's a sex addict that that was why it, I didn't even stop to think that the reason why I kept getting infections was because he was having unprotected sex with multiple different women and then bringing, you know, whatever it was he had on him back to me. Yeah. So anyways, fast forward to what I was originally speaking of in Easter Sunday, 2020 quarantine, I had just recovered from COVID and we were sitting on the couch and we were watching Jersey housewives of all things. (laughs) Which is kind of funny. They had a Jersey housewives marathon on and, we're talking about, you know, all the, the juicy gossip on the housewives and his phone goes off. And the way we were originally sitting on the couch was like, I could very well see his phone from where I was sitting. We were kind of like snuggling up and all of a sudden the phone goes off and he strategically like moves himself and positions himself to where I can no longer see the phone. And I had very briefly glimpsed the name on the phone. And I looked at him and I was like, why? It said Pizza Hut. And you were like, why is Pizza Hut texting you? Well, most of the people that he, <laughs> that he was cheating with, he didn't have saved in the phone or he had saved under men's names or like on Do Not Disturb. And, you know, this person he was not cheating on me, on me with, but still it was just weird. 
occurrence. And I said, well, why is so-and-so texting you at 9.30 at night on Easter Sunday? And, you know, how does she even have your phone number? I mean, this is a girl from the neighborhood who is, you know, probably like 18 years younger than him. And he goes, oh, she's texting me about spin class because he did. He was a spin instructor at the local gym on the side. And I was like, spin class? I'm like, we're in quarantine. The gyms are closed. There's no spin class. It's Easter Sunday night. Like, I don't understand. you got to come up with a better lie than that. And he raged out. I mean, when I tell you raged, raged, um, destroyed the living room, obviously scared me, scared my dog. There was glass everywhere. He broke the, um, the coffee table, right? That's the story. The coffee table. I mean, yeah. everything on the coffee table. I walked over broken glass. I was crying. He was mocking me, like literally like imitating me as I was crying. Like it was disturbing. And I was trying to, you know, get my dog so I could get out of the house because I didn't know what was to come. Like, how much more is he going to progress this? And we were at the front door and he kept like closing the door. Like he wasn't letting, he was like physically holding me back from trying to leave the house. Now, at this point, my dog ran away again. And in this moment, like while he's physically trying to prevent me from leaving, I end up getting a black eye. Um, and it was in that moment where he, you know, was trying to keep me from, from leaving because I think he was scared that <clears throat> I was going to go to the police. And, and he kept truth, saying, yeah. if you go to the police, I'll tell them that you did all of this and that you hit yourself and that, you know, you're crazy. And like, I'm just going to flip the script. And he was like, and who are they going to believe? A New York City fire lieutenant or you? And I was like, and he goes, oh, and by the way, if you ever like F with my job, he goes, I'll just kill you and then kill myself. Like he didn't care. He was, I don't care. He goes, I don't, that, I don't, I don't care. Like you screw up my job. That's it. You make me tremble. Yeah. Like, th- but these are like, that wasn't the first time he had mentioned. Because you know what the funny thing is, is like, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of men who are going to listen to this too. And we can still relate of that feeling of being trapped and they won't let you leave. And they want to manipulate the situation. And you know that you're not the violent person, but you feel like you got to fight your way out of a corner. And it's so ugly. Yeah. I mean, after that, he tried to tell me that he had intermittent explosive disorder. I mean, he even sent me a Wikipedia link saying, like, I never told you I was ashamed to tell you. Bullshit. Bullshit. This, oh, all the times we went to therapy, this never came up. I don't understand why he, why does he wear these badges? I mean, these uh, disorders, like a badge of honor. Well, he wanted to, you know, play the victim. Oh, I have this. And I was afraid to tell you, just like he was afraid to tell me that he had, you know, incurable STDs, by the way. Mm. Like- you, you failed to tell me that one too. Luckily, I, I didn't have that. But nothing like finding a hidden Valtrex bottle. Yeah, explain that one. Oh, oh you're fine. God. You're fine, Regina. You're fine. You're not going to get it. How do you know that? What does Valtrex tell for the, for the listener? In case people what don't know. What is Valtrex? Yeah, for, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's taken for, you know, HSV1 or HSV2, probably HSV2, which is downtown. Mm-hmm. But it, they could be, these days, they're, they could be interchangeable. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but. I've done enough research, all things mm-hmm. considered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's what Valtrex is for. I was very fortunate that, you know, although he gave me chronic UTIs and bacterial infections, <laughs> I did not luckily get the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> that is the worst <laughs> phrasing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Uh, which is, by the way, criminal behavior. I can't uh, believe we're laughing about this. If I did, you're laughing I about did, this. If I did get that, you know, he would have a, a pretty nice lawsuit on his hands. Thank you. Yeah. Um, But no, I'd rather, I'd rather not have that. And honestly, it's too bad. You guys weren't 
married because you would kick his ass in court. Shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Point, I mean, people have asked me because there's a statute of limitations on domestic abuse in, in New yeah. York City. And I'm like, I don't even want to go there. Like, yeah. I'm so, again, I'm just like out of it. I just wanted, no. Yeah. No. Anyway, like, keep going. Keep going. So the UTIs, the. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, now we got to the point where now it's physical. It's physical. Um, and I still took him back and he replaced everything. I mean, replaced the carpet, replaced all the broken items and thought like, okay, now that I replaced everything, like you should be okay with that. Just get over it. But I still had all these questions regarding the women and this, that, and the other thing. And I just knew like, this isn't, this isn't going to work. Did you guys you know, go back like, to therapy? Did he? Did you both? Well, this was, uh, keep in mind, this was over quarantine. This was over, you know, the initial stages of, of COVID. So no, we weren't going to therapy at that point. There was, mm. I, I didn't even think to do therapy over like Zoom or anything like that. But uh, it got to the point where that summer, so that was Easter time, that summer, I really just kept my distance and I was doing really well. Like I was happy. I was thriving. I knew he was bad news. My friends knew he was bad news. And it was just like, God, I'm just so wipe my hands clean of him. I'm just so glad to be away from him. And um, he had cornered me in a local bar bathroom. <laughs> And begged for my forgiveness, tears and all. And that was August of 2020. And I was, you know, I was away from him for a good few months there. And um, I wanted, I kept my distance. I, I was like, listen, I, I, I don't know what you want me to say. I don't know what you want me to do. We reached a point in our relationship where it got really, really ugly. And I never want to go back there. I never want to see that. And like, he agreed with me. And I really thought he was being genuine. I thought he was being honest. He promised me he was going to get on the straight and narrow. He had showed up like this was probably a couple weeks after that. He showed up at my front door, really messed up and begging for my help. And I promised him I would help him. And I really thought this time he means business. Like he's a broken person and he really needs my help. No, he just preyed on my sympathy and my empathy and knew what to do. Yeah, you know that now. And that was September of 2020. Fast forward to October, November time. I was babysitting him basically, like trying to monitor his behavior. And that's when I found out I was pregnant. And for any of the women out there who've ever been pregnant um, by a narcissist. Um, so this was really no accident. Um, within the first year of us dating, he had asked me to go off birth control um, because he wanted me to have a baby. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get pregnant right away, whether that was because of me, I don't know. But I do think it was because he would do like cycles of steroids and like the drug and uh, just I think his lifestyle prevented that from actually happening. And maybe it's, you know, partially my own fault for not being responsible enough to go back on birth control, whatever it was. But I always look at it. It was like a pregnancy trap because it was his doing. It was his wanting his convincing, his coercing, I should say. Coercion is huge in these relationships. For sure. Um, and, you know, it was him that ultimately wanted a baby. So it was during that time that I found out that I was pregnant. And something in me, you know, like I said, for any woman out there that's ever been pregnant, your instincts are super heightened. And while he's telling me one thing, claiming to love me, I'm going to do right by you, you know, even like I had a random food craving one day where all I wanted was homemade mashed potatoes. And he ran to the store, bought potatoes, like literally like mashed them himself. Like I thought Who is this person. Yeah. yeah. And I was yeah. like, Oh my God, that's, that's, he's back. The man I love is back. 
but something still in my gut was telling me like he's hiding something from you and I couldn't find anything in his phone there was like nothing around the house I'm like there's something I'm missing here Mm -hmm. and one night he was getting ready to go to work I took his apple watch out of his backpack um he really like seemed to only wear it like when he was at work and that night I went through it Uh and I was downright horrified disgusting filthy text messages between him and seven other women whoa um multiple text messages where he had solicited prostitutes whoa yeah um got him on the ring doorbell with a prostitute (gasps) at your house no at his still doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter matter. we were living like we and basically our entire relationship we were living with his fucking kid yeah he didn't care listen i mean he doesn't he doesn't care about his own health he's not going to care about mine or his child's like or anyone else's for that matter. You know, he didn't care about his mistresses or these, you know, he didn't care. You know, it just, it, it's really a shame because it's like, I'm not. Because you did only. care. Of course I cared. And yeah. I really, you know, he took to me while, yeah, like, it's not that I necessarily did or didn't want to have children, but he took what is the most sacred experience I believe in a woman's life. And he tarnished that. Yeah. He, he used that as a manipulation tool. Yeah. And that's really evil. That's yeah. really disgusting. Yeah. And it was then that I said, okay, this is, this is it. This is, I am John. I couldn't even face him. I confronted him over a text message because wow. I couldn't face him. You and know, did he you tried just to spill the beans about all the, you know, everything you knew. About I, started the Apple sending, Watch? I started sending him the pictures. I took. I took pictures of everything. Wow. My best friend came over that night when I was devastated. I mean, I was sobbing. Like, I couldn't even get the words out. I just gave her the watch and she went through it and she was like, holy shit. Um, And I couldn't, like, my like, thank God for my friends. I have amazing friends and family. And, like, they have not left. Like, my friends did not leave my side, like, throughout that whole process. And they've always supported me, even when they thought that he was bad news. They were always there for me. Um, So I'm very lucky in that respect. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, no, I got to see really like the truth and some of the women that I had these question marks over and the lies and the betrayals, sure enough, they were in there. There was a woman that actually was my hairdresser. Oh my God. And a fellow spin instructor at the gym. She but was she in didn't there. know about you? Oh, she did. Oh she did. At one point throughout the relationship, my hair was actually falling out. I was experiencing like alopecia like you know brought on through like high levels of stress yeah holy shit and she knew about this i had opened up to her about the problems that i was facing with him she knew about this but you know whatever goes on in other people's marriages i think that you know there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that you know they're broken in themselves and they think like oh it's okay i don't care what happens or what i do to somebody else and Yeah. yeah i wasn't on the radar i don't think it was directed at me I think that that's, you know, those women that were doing that, that's their own issues that they have to deal with in their own, their own relationships. Yeah. Going Um, back to what you were saying about um, like the, the stress induced alopecia, like um, it's funny because now you and I were talking about this offline is that um, now talking to the amount of people I talk to is like, we all get these like weird health 
things that like are like unexplainable like um i had like an issue with like tmj like lockjaw for anybody listening like i used to have lockjaw and i go why is my i can't open my mouth i had to like grit my teeth and i couldn't open my mouth or i had the, i had like really bad eczema on like one leg where like i would scratch until i bled and like now that i'm out of this relationship i don't have eczema or lockjaw anymore like it's very amazing. common it's a yeah i've heard i've heard lockjaw is like a really common thing in terms of like physical stress from a narcissistic abuse. Yeah. Crazy. Well, think about it. I mean, what is, what is it? It's you're you're basically you're, 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 stre- you're so hot. Your stress levels are so high that you're literally like grinding your teeth. You're grinding it. You're, you know, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, like, obviously you can see me, but the listeners can't see me, <laughs> but um, yeah, no. And autoimmune diseases are, are very common amongst narcissistic abuse. Super prevalent. Survivors. Yep. Um, I also experienced, so aside from losing my hair, I ha- was having erratic periods, also probably why I wasn't, you know, pregnant sooner than I was, um, from the time within a year of meeting him, I lost about 15 pounds. Wow. Um, yeah, I was down to about 130 pounds. I'm 5'10", just okay. to, to clarify that. Um, so I was already quite thin when I, when I met him. And throughout the relationship, he would make these insidious comments that I, you know, needed to tone up. I needed to lose weight. Um, and then obviously stress. What a um, douchebag. So, yeah, it's it's crazy. The summer of 2019, I actually have a picture that I had I had I keep in my phone to remind myself not to get to that point again, mm-hmm. where you could see all my ribs, you could see my my um my hips, you could see how unhealthy I really was. And even then he was telling me I I wasn't I wasn't thin enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was far too thin. I mean, I'm 5'10", 132 pounds. That's mm-hmm. not, that's not healthy. Right. Um, so yeah, no, I was experiencing a lot of physical effects. I was also experiencing brain zaps. So that's something also to look out for. I, I had talked to other victims who they were experiencing the same thing. And now this is common for some people that are coming off of antidepressants as mm-hmm. well, so like not to be confused, yep. but I had never been on any kind of medication. So it was weird that I was experiencing the brain zaps while I was with him and during those high stressful times and miraculously they've all gone away miraculously. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a miracle. You cut the toxicity out of your life. Oh yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like it's a joke. Um, The hair grew back, you know, with the help of special shampoo and supplements and keeping my stress levels and staying the hell away from him, you know, slowly, but surely I've been able to put on some, you know, some healthy weight. I mean, I had an ex before him who took one look at me like not too long ago. And he was like, Regina, like, where'd you go? Mm-hmm. And he was like, you need to like, you need to, you need to gain weight. And I was like, I'm trying, I'm trying. But so you really got to pay attention to your body when you're going through this, because your body is not going to lie to you. And I always say like, you're going to have a physical effect. Like, yes, it has an emotional and a mental effect on us as well. But there's for that, that stress to go somewhere, it's going to affect you physically. Like right. it's all got to go somewhere. For sure. Yeah. Um. So that was, yeah, that's, that's very common for for victims to look out for. Um, And even like loved ones of victims, like if you think somebody's in an abusive relationship, like if you see that, you know, they've let themselves go, like, I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. Um, Well, you know, it initially started out as you don't need makeup, you're beautiful without it. Uh Then it would become, ugh, you have makeup on, take it off, you look disgusting. He was probably insecure because he didn't want other guys looking at you or something. Exactly. I mean, we would go wherever we would go, whether we would go away for a weekend or something like 
whether it was Atlantic City or like, you know, down the shore or Cape May or wherever the hell we were going, Montauk, he would always tell me, you know, don't, you don't need to pack your makeup or like hair stuff because you, you're not going to be doing your hair or wearing makeup. That's yeah, stupid. exactly. And I, I mean, I would come home from work, he'd be sitting there and I, of course I wore makeup to work. I, I wanted to look presentable, especially in my line of work. And it made me feel better, especially. I was just going to say, like, I think, and, and listen, I'm a guy and obviously I relate to guys, but like from my standpoint, right. I'm not, um, I'm not blind to the fact that I think, I don't think girls wear makeup for guys. You're doing it. So you feel better about yourself. Yes. You know what I mean? Like it's not for him. Like, it's not for him. It's right. not for him. It's for you. And it's not so for me to, is he to tell you, guys. you can't wear makeup. Right. Exactly. It's stupid. And I used to say to him, like, when you met me, I had my hair and makeup done. Like, I don't understand why all of a sudden now it's a problem. It's um, just a control technique. That's all. Yeah. I mean, so like it got to the point where, okay, yeah, I'm actually getting home from work. He's telling me, Ugh, take the makeup off. You look disgusting. And I'm going up the stairs and washing my face. Like under his control. I mean, there were so many control tactics that he used his bathroom habits. I mean, down to like wanting us to use the same toothbrush. I barely got, yeah, I barely got to shower alone. And the times that I was like showering alone, he would always like somehow find a way to come into the bathroom in the shower. And he did this more often than not. And it's something that bothered me, but it got to the point where I just let it go because it wasn't worth me voicing my opinion because he would belittle me or make me feel like an idiot or whatever he would actually pee on me in the shower and people might say oh my god regina this is too much this is tmi (laughs) but i recently because i recently discussed this and i was like pondering this yeah i found this to be something that's very common um among narcissistic abuse survivors was weird bathroom behaviors controlling bathroom behaviors i gotta tell you well this is what i like about you because you say things like this and you know like you say it and i just lowered my head and i just shook my head but there's people out here who are gonna go yeah my fucking narcissist peed on me too what the fuck yeah and like there's something you know listen it's one thing to be playful in the bathroom and to take a shower together and right that's one thing, but right. not when it becomes a control issue. Right. Not when you uh, make me use your toothbrush. What's that? Not when he makes you use his toothbrush. Yeah. And I wasn't allowed to wash my hair at night because he didn't like wet hair in bed. Oh my God. Yeah. I would get yelled at. What else? You know, sex every day, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no exceptions to that. Like, and if I didn't, and it's not that like he forcibly forced himself on me. I should, I just want to clarify that. Um, but whether he would whine like a child if I didn't feel like it mm-hmm. to the point where it's like, Oh my God, fine. Like, let's just, just shut up. Yeah. Um, See, my, my, my experience was the other way around. I would be so sexually starved that it would go months and months and months and months, honestly. And like never been my style, but I'm actually proud of myself that I never cheated or anything like that because I probably fucking should have, like it was, I, um, so she, I don't know if you heard from, you know, past episodes, but she sexually coerced me into having my daughter and then held out on me for 15 months. So like, it's weird. I think, I think with the, the male narcissist is usually the sex addict and the female narcissist usually withhold sex for long periods of time. Well, yeah, because they use that to control you. They know and then, and you're then a man, man, listen, you're a man. It's it, it, they know that. And then as a man, like you put like sex on such a pedestal because you're like, this is, you know, I 
can't believe it. Like, how do you not have an emotional bond to your husband? Well, and it's going to emasculate you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. It works. It's, it's, it's messed up. They there. It's very calculated. And, you know, for me, it was like, when I realized, you know, what I did in the end, and I found all the seven women plus the hookers. And it's like, (laughs) holy crap. Like, on top of the fact that we were having sex every day. Um, you know, the, the, there was one weekend where I had actually gone to visit my cousin in Maine for a long weekend. And the reason why I was going to Maine for that weekend was because my, my, my other cousin, her sister had passed away from, um, a massive stroke that summer. And every weekend, my cousins, I have a huge family. We were taking turns to go visit my cousin in Maine. And it just so happened to be my weekend. He didn't want me to go, Uh but I was like, tough shit. I'm, I'm going. Right. And he was like, well, then party time for me. And I'm like, you have to work tomorrow. You have to work for 24 tomorrow. Like how much partying could you possibly do? Like I kind of brushed it off. Like I laughed it off. Mm-hmm. And I kid you not, when I found everything I found and I had to piece all the puzzles, the, all the puzzle pieces together, I left around noon on a Friday after having sex with him that morning. That afternoon, about an hour after I left, he had one of his married mistresses over. Oh my God. Sex with her. That evening, I got to Maine. He had texted me that he was going to order a pizza and go to bed because he had to wake up early for work the next day. Apparently, it was a pizza and a prostitute. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I kid you not. Holy shit. So there's now three women in a matter of eight hours. I was going to say six, eight hours, something like that. Yeah. And then went to work Saturday all day, got home Sunday morning. And before I got home Sunday night, he had hired another prostitute that early afternoon. Wow, that is a true sex addict. Holy shit. But no, according to him, he doesn't have a problem. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, to me, it's not really sex addiction. I I mean, yes, that's part of it. It is sex addiction. Um, that's just a symptom of the overall disease, though. But yeah, it, that's just a symptom of, of who he is. Right, right. Um, it's not because there are people out there with just sex addiction. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of celebrities like David Duchovny. I think he openly talks about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's but, tons of them, but. Yeah, there's tons of them, but it, it it this is this is just another symptom and or, or another trait that I had experienced that um you know it, it's it's a devastating betrayal. Right. Um and I think it's Dr. Romani who said um that narcissistic abuse is soul rape. Ooh. I believe it's her. Um and that's really like it's hard to put into words. And it's one of those things that we as victims and survivors always say, like, unless you go through it, you're never going to understand the severity of it. Um, I've heard I've heard it's like trying to explain color to a blind person. Pretty much. Yeah. And, um, you know, you know, you, you know, when your gut something's not right, but they're so master manipulative, like it, they're so good at their game. They've been perfecting this game their entire life. And they're so good at convincing you of their lies because they sprinkle their lies with some truth. Of course. So you really don't know. I mean, it's just one big roller coaster ride. And like, not to quote John Bon Jovi, but I love Bon Jovi. So <laughs> I am, you Do know, it. I always say like, he promised me heaven and put me through hell. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like that's really what it is. And I finally, you know, I lived through all of that and I laughed, tried to hoover me couple months later on my birthday didn't work I I basically gave it right back to him and that's when he I officially officially blocked him I got myself into therapy 
I found an amazing therapist. I didn't go back to the man that him and I had gone to because I wanted somebody who didn't know him. I was going to say, could be be like objective about the situation. Yes. Yes. And she, um, she, she saved me. She really did. Um, And I put in the work. I mean, it was, it was hard. It was the hardest time of my life. I opened up to my family as best as I could without, you know, giving too many details. Um, my father specifically did not know everything. Um, cause I had to shield my dad from that for, for many reasons. And then it was June of this past year, 2021, where I noticed I was getting block voicemails and emails and it just also happened to coincide when my dad was was dying. You made me just want to check my blocked voicemails. Yeah. And I was in a very vulnerable spot. And this is something, again, I just want people to know that if you're vulnerable in any way, it is a perfect opportunity for these people to prey on you. Yeah. And you got to keep your guard up. And no matter whatever it is you're going through in your life, don't let them back in. And I learned this lesson truly. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I don't want to say the hard way because he didn't affect me really. I think he would like to think he did, but he didn't. But I very briefly allowed him back in my life. And I made it crystal clear to him during that time of my father's sickness and dying. Mm-hmm. There was no coming back to that relationship. And there was no coming back from what he did to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted me, to, he wanted to prove himself to me that he's not a monster his words, I'm not a monster. You know, he wanted me in his life in some capacity on some level. You know, there's that typical narcissistic, you know, can we be friends? How are you gonna be friends with somebody who's abused you? No, if you couldn't be friends when you were in the relationship. Like, would you be friends with that person if you were yeah. out of it? Like, I can't think of anything we have in common to begin with. Exactly. Well, <laughs> you, I mean, you have everything in common because they mirror you. Right, exactly. Well, um, no, it's like, no, you can't, you can't be friends. Yeah. Um, no matter how hard you try, because they're always going to manipulate you. They're always going to lie to you. And lo and behold, he's still professing his love to me during this time period, wanting to be there for me throughout, you know, my father's illness. And he had actually given me and I thought to myself, this is the least he can do after everything he's put me through. Um, my dad was in the hospital in Manhattan and, you know, parking in these hospitals every day. I was going in there every day for like almost six weeks and parking at these hospitals can be costly. So he had said to me, you know, take my, my parking plaque, my fire department parking plaque, you know, that way you don't have to pay for parking. And I said, you know what? I am. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I did. And, you know, I, I had gone to return the plaque and I had broken down and I was crying. This was I kid you not, days after my father passed. So my dad Mm -hmm. died Friday, July 23rd. And um, that evening, he had told me that he had wished he could just hold me and take my pain away and that his door is always open if I ever needed him. And I thought, wow, he's being genuinely kind. That is low. Yep. You know what he, you know where he was that night? He was on a date with another woman that he was grooming. The woman that came after me. Yep. Holy shit. Yep. And just days after that, he raged out on me. And this is what ultimately prompted me to start really speaking out. And to because start because you knew that he was with her or like, why? No, did I, had, I had no idea at that time. I had okay. no idea. This is all pieces. So of the puzzle you figured what out prompted later. me to start to speak out was that Tuesday. He raged on me. He told me he was happy. My father died. <gasps> and that, yeah. And that he hopes I suffer for years to come. 
from losing my dad. And I took one look at him and I was like, are you, are you serious? Like what in God's name would possess you to, to say something so evil? Wow. And he smirked, shrugged his shoulders and he goes, well, you told everybody what I did. And I was like, so this entire time, the last, you know, two months, whatever it was, pretending to care, pretending to want me back was what that was all that was all just a game to you and he, he just, was just biding his time to like throw that on you yep it, it was a- all part of his sick plan and he was no longer trying to hide it from me he was no longer trying to hide and he said to me and this is something that he said to me when i was standing there right in front of him which is another projection and he was like you're a predator and i'm like i'm a predator how am Who i you prey on yeah exactly and i'm like okay yeah. Okay. I'm a pre- I'm a predator. Okay, dude, it's coming out. Your mask has fallen. Like it's coming out. Like the evil was just seeping through him. Like I wouldn't be able to get away from that person fast enough. Oh, I did. I mean, I was like, you're sick. Like, and that was, I was like thanking him. I was like, thank you. Thank you for proving me right. Yep. Like you did not make me upset. He even tried to group an ex-boyfriend into it saying like, so-and-so said he's happy your father died too. And I was like, what? Come to find out. And this is something, somebody he had tried to triangulate in every fight we ever had in our relationship and come to find out, of course, he never said that he doesn't speak to him. They barely know each other. And, you know, it's like you put words in this man's mouth because you wanted somebody on your side. Like, to, yeah. to, and meanwhile, this, this guy doesn't even freaking know you and he wants nothing to do with you, especially after learning everything that he put me through. Cause that's what they're trying the to do. They're trying to... Two, the day that those two come face to face, like, mm, Mm-mm. I fear for that narcissistic piece of crap because it ain't going to end well. They're trying to, they're trying to either start or, or get, you know, make a narrative that like, Oh, see, everybody thinks you're an asshole. Everybody's glad, you know? Oh yeah. They try to like group people that, you know, and it's like, why? why? She used to do that all the time with my aunt. Like my aunt knows how much of a piece of shit you are. My aunt sees, you know, my aunt sees how bad I treat her. And I, and, and it was funny. Cause like I got out of this and I would go to my, I went to my aunt. I was like, Hey, like, can we like, just have like a, a conversation? Did I do that? And she'd be like, no, I never said that about you. And I was like, she's like, you're my nephew. Why would I say that about you? And I was like, she's like, why would you even doubt me? And then like, I was like, no, I didn't doubt you, but I couldn't come to you because then I would be trying, you know, like, oh. yeah, they, they, well, they, 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 it's a smear campaign. They try to smear you to other people too. Like, or like put that in your head, yeah. like. He told me his family couldn't stand me. Meanwhile, I would see them wherever I would see them and they would welcome me with open arms. Give me a hug and kiss. Hello. Like what? But you hated me. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like, yeah, you have no reason to hate me. Yeah. But that's what initially him, him disrespecting my father's death was enough for me to say, <laughs> like, got you. Cause you know what? The one thing that you don't want me to do, you said it yourself was tell people guess what? Now I'm going to tell the whole goddamn world. There you go. Look at you. (laughs) Now I'm going to tell the whole goddamn world. So thank you for that. You just give me a gift. And, you know, after the fact I had found out from the women, the woman that he was very briefly dating, you know, when they had met during that time period, within a matter of six weeks, he told her he loved her. He introduced her to his family and was wanting to get her pregnant. (laughs) You know, all the meanwhile, it gets better. I had given her like his tricks of the trade. I was like, this is what you want to look for in the phone. Like, this is what he's doing. She's like, I have all the passwords. I'm like, it don't mean shit. So did I. And um, look at the iWatch. Look at the iWatch. Well, he he didn't know because he doesn't use that no more. 
Oh. Once you get caught on something, you're not going to use it. Like, no, he okay. didn't use the Apple Watch. Um, but I told her, I said, he's going to have women saved under men's names. He's going to keep them on do not disturb mode. He might not save the numbers at all. And any any unknown number will go directly to his voicemail. And he'll just delete the text history. I was like, you're going to want to look out for this stuff. Wow. And sure enough, about, I don't know, maybe it was a week after her and I had this conversation. She reached out to me and she was like, yep, there's a woman. He's what? doing whatever he is with her. She saved under his you know, in his phone as a man on do not disturb, no text history. Wow. Yeah. And this is, I guess this is his latest victim who was a side piece in multiple relationships he had from his past. (laughs) You know, it's funny when I was listening to you and you were like, that's it. I'm going to tell the whole world. It was almost like those, like, you know, like Rocky or something like those eighties montages where it's like, let's go, let's go. Well, I I was like, listen, you, you've done enough disrespect to me. And this is how I feel like, You've disrespected me enough. The last thing I'm going to ever let anyone do is disrespect my father, especially after his, his death. Yeah. yeah, that's not. And and he knew how close I was to my dad. My dad was everything to me. And I actually like, I mean, whether people believe in it or not, I believe in divine intervention. And I believe that was my father protecting me from moving forward with this man ever again. And oh, I God. also believe the strength that I've gained since speaking out is directly from my dad because my dad was the strongest, most resilient person you would ever meet in your entire life. Um, Vietnam vet, like, you know, hard, like the hardest working, most loving, like funniest, yeah. but take no shit, do no wrong type of guy. Yep. Yep. And uh, I definitely think that this is my father, like divinely intervening and being like, I'm going to make sure that not only does my daughter heal and become stronger and make something from this, but I'm going to make sure she never goes back to this motherfucker ever again. Damn straight. So that's where I'm at. And I'm actually in the process of um, becoming like I'm getting a, become, I guess you could say I'm taking a course to become a certified life coach oh. um, to specialize in narcissistic abuse. Um, you know, I couldn't, when I started this, I really couldn't have imagined the response that I've gotten um, for being so transparent and open. And, you know, some of these things are hard to talk about. I get it. Like it's weird shit. It's stuff that's taboo. Like people it's super about, taboo. You know, talk about your sex life. Talk about UTIs. Talk like yeah, it's not normal stuff to talk about. But these are things that need to be talked about because it's so common in these abusive relationships. That like, what's your alternative? If your alternative is staying in it for years and years and years, like that is no life to live. And like, you're gonna have a very short, unhappy life. Or staying quiet. That's another alternative. And fuck them. They don't deserve your silence. No, because there's people out there that need to know and awareness needs to be had. And I think in the in the last couple of years, like, again, I think it's only going to become more and more. But in the last couple of years, you see like docuseries, you know, there's being there's shows and movies that are kind of portraying these real life stories. Yeah. You know, Dirty John is a perfect example of this. It's an extreme example, yeah. but a perfect example. Can you tell the story a little bit about how you've um, gotten kind of friendly with some of his other targets? So as per my therapist, she actually recommended when I was going through it, questioning, like, did I desert? Like, why, why, why me? You know, I don't understand. Like, I know based on the therapist we had gone to prior, like I knew everything, but I still didn't want to accept it. And then when I got to the point where I had it all, all the proof right in front of me, 
you know, there was a lot, there was a lot to unpack there. A lot of like, why did I ignore the red flags? Mm-hmm. Um, why did I accept this behavior? What was it about my own life, childhood? Because even though I had a beautiful childhood, I have beautiful parents, beautiful family, there are still some things that generational trauma that repeats itself that you have to uncover every single one of us that enter into these relationships and, you know, ignore these red flags. Yeah. We got to figure that out. Everyone's going to be different. Mine was, you know, I have this fixer mentality, this, this saver, this I'm okay with, you know, giving you the shirt off my back. If I go cold, like sacrificing myself for somebody else's happiness. And that was something I had to work out on my own. But during those sessions, she had recommended I reach out to women before me. And I was scared to do this. And she said, what do you have to lose? She goes, the worst that they could do is either ignore you, tell you to fuck off. Like, or not what? validate what you already know is true. And you know, these stories are going to all align. Nobody just wakes up one day and decides I'm going to start doing this. I'm mm-hmm. going to just start behaving this way. Just like they don't wake up one day and just say, I'm just going to stop. This is not an isolated incident. It's, you know, like whether the woman he's with now, I don't even know like who he's tech. I don't know who's who he's with, who he's not with, whatever. But unfortunately, like everyone's going to experience the same type of abuse, whether they want to admit it, see it or not. Like they don't, nobody wakes up one day and just decides they're going to stop being abusive and a liar and a cheater and, you know, behaving in these crazy, insane ways towards other individuals. Right. Um, Just like nobody wakes up one day and decides they're going to start doing these things. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I reached out to the women before me and I was very fortunate that to learn their experiences were very similar. It was also heartbreaking at the same time because it's like, there was a woman in Philadelphia and, you know, again, I'm just, this is, this is not a fact. This is only going off of what I was told. You know, she had met him online and while he was with the woman before me, like, so it was like, he was maintaining all these different relationships Yeah, and he actually had drugged her. <gasps> yeah. He had a narcissistic meltdown in a hotel lobby in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And um, this woman was scared and, and he had drugged her because she confronted him. Like, what did, like, what did oh you give him? And he admitted, he admitted to it. <gasps> yeah. I'm surprised she didn't press charges. And then he had threatened her. He had threatened her that, again, she was scared to go to the police because he threatened her claiming, you know, who are they going to believe, you or me? So, yeah, I've become pretty close to her. Um, there was another woman that he had dated that, again, an overlapping relationship. Just, and really, like, these women are just, like, really beautiful, kind, loving validating i'm sure validating you know like yeah like salt of the earth kind of people that Mm -hmm. i'm like i can see why we've become friends yeah and i am so i'm gonna cry because like i am so thankful for them um um just because like they've given like i they've given me a gift that not many people get. And I, like, I know it's like, they say, um, don't, don't reach out to, you know, the exes or new supply or, you know, maybe not the new supply to warn them or whatever. Like if you can, if you want, like you're probably not going to get anywhere, but I would encourage people to reach out. If you know who their exes are by a hundred percent, because you can find some beautiful friendships in those people and amazing support, support and validation that you're not going to get from anyone else. Well, and the and thing I, is I, too, I, that was my biggest gift. And, you know, I have to credit my therapist for that because she was the one who ultimately pushed me to do that. 
And you know, I'm sure those, those women feel the same way about you. They're saying, look at you out there, you know, crusading for us. Like, and it's, yeah, I've been told that, you know, um, I help validate, you know, and these are women that have moved on in their lives and they, they have a beautiful life and they've given me hope. Um, and like to see, like, it wasn't me. And like, if it could happen to them and it could happen to me, like, and, um, but for them to tell me that me sharing with them, my experience has helped resolve some of their trauma mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe unanswered questions that they had mm-hmm. and has validated their own experiences, whether that was, you know, you know, a year ago or five years ago or six years, whatever it was yeah, that they had carried some on, you know, some, some of those things and that me reaching out and sharing my story and, you know, I had one woman tell me that I was the woman that she had prayed would come along. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. So I, I figured, you know, I really, this was the most traumatic thing I've ever gone through in my entire life. This was the worst experience of my entire life. Yep. Um, but I, maybe it's just me and it's kind of something that I've always been. I try to find the positive. Um, and I look for the silver lining and I always tell these women, like, they're my silver lining, but I'm like, I got to make something good out of something bad. And I think that's also one of like my father's like legacies mm-hmm. um, and, you know, just being resilient and and finding the good in something. And that's why I really wanted to do something with this um, and really bring awareness and, and, and help people realize like, this is real. Yeah. It's, it's hard, you know, acceptance is key. Education is key. Like if you don't put in the work to educate yourself and like stop with the fucking bullshit denial. Yeah, for sure. Um, and accept the fact that you were abused. That was the hardest thing. I didn't want to accept that I was, I was abused. Because we loved them. We genuinely loved them and yeah, used and abused. And um, I will tell you this though, what you went through is very much not in vain. I mean, look at all the people that you're affecting because of it, you know, so you should be proud of yourself because the amount of strength that you display going through these stories and you might cry a little bit, but you know, you live to tell. And that's the, that's the important thing. So I'm proud. Well, you of know, you. it's funny. The first, I haven't cried. Like I don't cry anymore making these, you know, speaking out, you know, explaining my story. I just cried now over something that I find beautiful, beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Yep. So it's good tears. You know, those are happy tears. Yeah. Um, I I, I kind of laugh. And one of the women that he had been with prior to me, she told me at one point, she goes, Regina, you're going to get to the point where you're going to look back and just laugh at him. And I'm there. And I never thought I would be. And I'm not only there, but it's like, yeah, I laugh at the whole thing. And we were laughing in the beginning of starting this podcast. Mm-hmm. But it's like, ye- in a strange way, he's given me like a new purpose in my life. And that purpose is to, to turn my pain into my power and to help others navigate through this, this fucking hell. Um, and that's something I don't, and like, again, I said it in the beginning, I don't want people to ever feel like they're alone. Cause they're not like, yeah, even though like my following has grown to the, this extreme that I could have never, ever imagined. Um, I try to read through all my messages. I really do. And I try to respond to everybody. And I'm always like, listen, I'm a listening ear. Like you want to message me. You want, you want to talk, you want to FaceTime, whatever it is. Like, 
Yeah. If I ask, if I can, I will. Yep. Um, because I, I know how bad it is. I mean, to know that there's victims out there who have taken their own lives from the pain that this is, this causes people. It's not okay. It's not. No, this is, this is, <clears throat> I'll tell you what, that I, I call it my detox. Those first couple of weeks, say like six weeks were some of the darkest times of my life. And I will, I mean, I, I, I didn't get to talk to my kids for 42 days. I didn't know what they thought, where they thought I was. I don't know. They, I knew nothing. So the point is, is that just how you started this off, you are not alone for anybody listening to this out there. You know, Regina's gone through it. I've gone through it. And I feel so blessed. I feel so fortunate to know that there's this huge, wide community, not just on social media, but there are people everywhere who go through this. And when we're in these relationships, we just think they're assholes, but they're narcissists. And we well, that's why acceptance through. is key. Acceptance, acceptance is key. and education is key. And no, you're not alone. And like, like I said, once I once I get this certification, once I really start to like take off in a way where I can feel like I can really do something with this. I have plans, you know, I want to do a whole like survivor's retreat, like at the beach, like I got a lot of things in my back pocket that are going to come to fruition. And, you know, that's, that's one thing, like if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So that's dope. Yeah. Listen, there's one that I, I'm a big New York giants fan. I'm a big Lawrence Taylor fan. And I used to say, if there's one sure way to get me to do thing, something, tell me I can't. There you go. This is true. And like, right. listen, I got to say, thank, thank God for your podcast. Thank God for your page. You are helping so many people, whether you know it or not. You're helping yourself because talking's healing. And I always tell people, you got to talk about it. You know, you got to feel it to heal it. Yeah, yeah. To you know, work work way through. Well, thank you for saying that. Your your page has really helped me a lot too, and I'm glad that uh, I was able to get in touch with you. I was glad that you did this, and uh, I think you kick ass. I really do. You're you're a, you're a tough girl, and I like it. Oh, thank you so much. <sighs> Thank you well, for having me. This has been great. Good. I'm glad. Well, listen, thank you so much to Regina for being on the show. Again, if you'd like to follow her, she is on TikTok, Instagram. She is pain to power, power with two R's at the end. Okay. So pain to power, follow her, check it out. It's awesome. If you want to follow me, I am at dimming underscore the underscore gaslight. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you to Regina. And uh, until next time, everybody. Bye.